Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going to talk to Megan Hines from the Royal Bank of Canada, but uh, she also does other things as well, and we'll get into that in just a minute. So, Megan, what is your job at the Royal Bank of Canada? Yeah, I'm, um, I work in, in, within human resources, um, so I'm senior manager, portfolio management and strategy integration. So, basically, we look at how we can integrate everything we're doing across HR um, to make it a, a more consistent and cohesive employee experience so that, um, you know, everything is integrated together and whatnot. And then also, you know, managing within our internal HR side of things for my group, a lot of the events like town halls and communication from communications from our senior vice president and a lot of those aspects to make sure that our internal HR group is understanding, you know, what's going on across our group and um, has a good understanding, kind of seeing those connection points and whatnot. So what's your academic background? Yeah, so I went to my master's uh, from a Bachelor of Commerce, uh, and so graduated with that with a focus on um, strategy and human resources. Okay. And besides working with RBC, did you work for anybody else? I did, yeah. I worked for another financial institution uh, before joining RBC, so I worked for them uh, while I was actually at university. Um, it was extremely flexible and really worked out well. I worked with them, again, their human resources department um, as a recruiter. So I did phone interviews for uh, the customer service representatives. And so it worked really well while I was a student, especially because I could work remotely. I could, you know, work within kind of my school schedule. Um, and it was a really great way as well <clears throat> to get, you know, to put my employment, or sorry, my educational experience into practice in my employment. So uh, yeah, you know, it was a definitely valuable experience and really enjoyed working there. But then, uh, you know, I ended up joining RBC right after I graduated um, and have been here ever since. And how many years is that? Oh, I think it's, I want to say eight years at this point. Wow. Um, yeah, so definitely been a long time. <laughs> so you've been promoted a few times? I have, yeah. No, I've, I've been fortunate to have, you know, some really great managers and uh, mentors and sponsors at RBC. And so... Yeah, started out with, as a coordinator within our executive recruitment team and have kind of progressed uh, within my career um, since from there into different roles. And yeah, like I said, like a, a big aspect of it is having really great managers who have really pushed me and, you know, wanted to see me succeed and have helped me get those opportunities to kind of get to the next level. So yeah, I've been really fortunate. So Megan, you operate from a wheelchair. Can you explain that? Yeah, so I am a wheelchair user. So I have uh, a disability called muscular dystrophy. Um, basically, the easiest way of putting it is my uh, muscles don't really develop, so I use a wheelchair on a daily basis. Um, I also use a ventilator and um, a service dog named Clifford that comes around me and helps me kind of with uh, various things throughout the day. Well, that's terrific. So it's kind of like a partner. Absolutely, yeah. I know he's, you know, can be a bit lazy at times, but, you know, he's definitely uh, cute and kind of, like, um, helpful for sure. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> That's terrific. Okay, let's get uh, into the other activity you do besides RBC. Explain that. Uh, yeah, so a couple things. So, uh, within RBC, I'm co-chair of uh, REACH, our employee resource group. 
um, basically which helped internally to support our employees with disabilities <clears throat> and also, you know, really, you know, <clears throat> remove the stigma and stereotypes surrounding disability to kind of, yeah, like make, you know, the fact that employees with disabilities are employees first and how can we really, you know, um, support that and kind of make sure that we are supporting all employees. That's kind of my other internal RBC thing. And then outside of that as well, um, I have played power hockey oh, for as long as I can remember since I was about nine years old. So I've had the opportunity to kind of progress within my power hockey career. Uh, power hockey, for those who don't know, is similar to the rules of ice hockey. Uh, it's played on a gym floor, though, for and it's one of the few sports for power chair users. Um, and it's a very inclusive sport as well. And one that I've had the opportunity, like I said, to progress in in terms of playing on both our um, you know regional team but also Team Canada as well and so part of that passion um, you know pushed myself and my other um, you know players and coaches and whatnot we actually ended up founding two organizations uh, one is Power Hockey Toronto which is our local organization um, for you know regular league play recreational play um, we also have a high performance side of things um, but also Power Hockey Canada which is our national para sports um, organization and helps to kind of really see the growth and development of power hockey nationally and internationally. Uh, so yeah, I've been working on that since about 2018, we established both of those organizations and it's been exciting what we've been able to kind of accomplish in this, this last even few years, uh, e e even with COVID kind of thing, we've definitely had some um, exciting accomplishments. So it's not part of the Parapan Games or the Paralympics yet? Not yet, no, that's definitely one of the um, big thing that our international governing body, IWAS, is um, looking to do. There's a lot of, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but there's a lot of, uh, you know, things you have to do to kind of make it a Paralympic sport eventually. Um, but we're, we're getting there, you know, some of the things are having the sport played in three continents. Uh, so the fact that North America plays, Australia, Europe, you know, it's definitely helping us get there. Also having, um, you know, world championships. So this past summer, um, Team Canada participated in the world championships in switzerland so you know all these things are adding up to hopefully one day seeing our sport represented in the paralympics well, that would be terrific <clears throat> now having said all that at, at the royal bank where do you see yourself in three years oh gosh i don't know i feel like my career has been um you know one that i've maybe planned something <laughs> and then just like opportunities have come my way um so I don't know, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what role necessarily, but I think it just, seeing myself progressing, I think definitely getting to that next level, I think in the next couple of years and continuing to make an impact within HR. I think, you know, I'm definitely open to roles outside of HR, but I feel like I've kind of found my niche and kind of what I really enjoy doing and kind of supporting employees, so, and on the strategy side of things. So probably something within HR, uh, hopefully at the director level. And so yeah, we'll, we'll see where my career takes me though. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. One of the uh, challenges that we've researched, we found out various companies have policies on disability, but they don't have a group responsible and accountable for those policies. Is that the case at RBC? No, I think <coughs> that um, you know our diversity and inclusion team is definitely being committed, especially over the last couple of years where I've been more involved. Um, you know, in terms of seeing how we can better support employees with disabilities. You know, even just now we're um, pushing out a survey to all employees um, and globally to kind of understand, you know, from an employee perspective or a manager of someone with a disability or someone with an invisible disability or a caregiver, 
you know, what can RBC do better to support our employees? And part of that or an outcome of that will be um, looking at all the great information and suggestions that come from that survey and actioning it and seeing, okay, what can we actually do to better support our employees? Um, and so, you know, I think that every organization has, you know, improvements kind of on in every aspect. Um, but I think RBC is definitely committed to supporting our employees. Um, and so having the DNI team and also reach um, our employee reader group, like I mentioned, be there to kind of advocate for employees and a lot of different areas across the bank that support uh, employees with disabilities. So um, I'm excited to see what will happen uh, in the next couple of years. Okay. What about the government? Do you think the government is doing enough? You know, I think it's definitely kind of similar. I think it's definitely gotten better. Like since I was um, a child, I've seen improvements kind of thing, but I, I still think there's a ways to go, especially, you know, in terms of when I went to the World Cup um, in Switzerland, I was speaking with, you know, other players from other countries and, you know, even just hearing some of the things in some countries and how they support employees, or sorry, how they support individuals with disabilities um, and kind of the more overall kind of inclusion and, and accessibility. Um, a lot of times we think towards the initial, you know, let's just make ramps and let's make, you know, braille for push buttons or whatever it may be kind of thing to make it inclusive. But there's a lot more that needs to be done to assure that individuals are included in all aspects of society. And so one example that comes to mind, again, going back to when I was at the World Cup, is that some countries actually fund an everyday wheelchair and a sport wheelchair for uh, individual disabilities. And that's, you know, just, again, shows that it's kind of pushing or kind of supporting individuals to be part of every aspect of life, including sport. And again, just one example, but I think that is just like, a it just it's just really telling in the sense that, you know, we want people to be active members of all aspects of society. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, I think there are ways, there's definitely progress. And I think Canada has, you know, some really positive things that we can pull from. And, but I think there's a way to go, a ways to go still across the, you know, Canada and internationally too. So I'm hopeful that we can kind of learn from other countries and uh, continue to make life better for everyone. So Megan, you have traveled a bit and you've had some problems when you travel. Talk about that. Yeah, you know, um, being a wheelchair user, um, unfortunately, you know, right now airplanes don't have a way for you to sit in your wheelchair on the plane. So there can be some aspects where, you know, or some times where wheelchairs get broken. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to travel a lot because of power hockey, but also just personally, um, kind of making a way, just figuring out a way to make it happen. But it can be frustrating sometimes in terms of, you know, just getting to your destination and hoping, first of all, that your wheelchair shows up. So, you know, hopefully that your wheelchair shows up in one piece kind of thing. So I've never had any major damage, luckily. Um, but, you know, even just this past trip that I came back in August, there was some damage and I was fortunate that I was able to get it resolved quickly uh, kind of thing, but I've definitely heard a lot of horror stories. Like we, I'm sure a lot of people have heard, you know, Maya and Ziv's recent story in the news and others kind of similarly. And this is something that unfortunately happens daily. Um, you know, it's great that there's been more of a spotlight on kind of the recent kind of situation that Maya had experienced, but it really just, you know, it happens every single day and it could be major damage like that, but even just the general kind of treatment and, how you feel as an individual traveling. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I think that there is support in place, but I think, you know, like with anything, I think we can, especially when it comes to travel, make sure that people have a better experience overall, I think. So do you do any traveling by yourself? I do, yeah. I travel 
I've been fortunate to travel a lot. So I've actually uh, went to China in 2008, which is really exciting. I've, uh, you know, gone on a lot of family vacations across, you know, North America and different cruises and whatnot and been to Australia uh, and Europe a lot for tournaments. So, yeah, I know it's definitely travel is something I love. I got the travel bug early on uh, when I was younger and kind of just it stuck with me ever since. So, you know, COVID has obviously thrown a bit of a damper in that, unfortunately. So, but I'm I'm making up for it. We have some more trips planned over the next couple of years. So hopefully everything continues in a positive direction and we're able to, you know, take advantage of that travel. So talk about the importance of family and caregivers. No, I think it's important to have, you know, a, overall like support network i think for anyone um but i think especially as a person with a disability you know having that support network around you um and one that is really kind of you know doesn't treat you differently just like my parents that the way that they kind of approach things from when i was a child is that you know i can do anything I, anyone else you know i just might do it a bit differently so they really pushed me you know when I said I wanted to do gymnastics, they're like, sure, you know, I don't walk, but we'll do gymnastics, sure, kind of thing. Or when I wanted to horseback ride or, you know, downhill ski, so a lot of parasports or travel or whatever it may be, um, you know, just that mindset of, yeah, why not? Let's figure it out kind of thing. And some things may be more successful than others uh, in a sense, but um, yeah, I think having those individuals around you uh, to support you and to um, just enable you to, um, you know, live life to its fullest. And like I said, for me, it's because, you know, having a disability, having that support network has been, I think, even more important. But I think for anyone, you know, it's really important to have that support network to kind of lean on when you need to or whatever it may be. So what are uh, two challenges for you in the in the next year? Um, I think when it comes to Power Hockey Canada, that's kind of where still so – it's kind of like my side gig on a, in a sense, because I obviously work full time at RBC. Um, but, you know, I'm really committed to help seeing Power Hockey Canada grow with my fellow board members. Um, so, yeah, I want to see like a lot of the different um, initiatives that we have at play. So uh, we're looking at maybe going to another international, international tournament in the spring. Also um, developing more programs across the country. Um, so I think a lot of that relates to that. Um, on a personal side of things, I think just kind of seeing my career continue to grow. And also, uh, personally, you know, I'm getting married next summer, so planning a wedding as well kind of thing. So a lot in the, on the go over the next couple of years uh, for a lot of exciting things and just taking time to kind of be with friends and family too and uh, enjoy those things, the little things as well. Getting married, that is exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so having said that, how do you get around the city? Um, a few different ways. So... Uh, there's Wheeltrans, which is the accessible, I live in Toronto, um, for reference, so there's Wheeltrans, which is uh, the accessible form of our TTC uh, or of our public transit. Um, also, subways are getting more accessible. Um, the subway station near me, luckily, got accessible just before COVID, so um, definitely been relying on that more so. Um, it's been great as well, Uber and Lyft are accessible in Toronto, so that has been really, really beneficial away because before it was more difficult, there weren't a lot of wheelchair taxis and so like it was hard to get especially if you weren't downtown toronto um so yeah like and just walking like to be honest my chair goes eight miles an hour so uh you know definitely relying on that kind of thing a faster way to get from point a to point b sometimes when it's nice weather well it's going to be nice today so yeah <laughs> that's, that's good okay so having said that 
what should other companies do to uh, accept people with disabilities? I think there's a few things, like one from a hiring perspective, I think we need to, um, you know, sometimes look at individuals with disabilities and their experience and look at that non-traditional experience. So, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, I wasn't going to be, you know, working in a restaurant or, you know, because I was going to drop all your plates on the ground probably. So I wasn't going to do that anytime soon or, you know, work in like retail type thing. So I looked at ways to get, you know, those skills in maybe a little more non-traditional setting. So uh, volunteering for my hockey organization or, you know, volunteering for dog guides, the organization that provided me with my service dog and planning events or initiatives and you know, a lot of those transferable skills I then brought into my day-to-day. And so I was fortunate that my first kind of official employer kind of really looked at that experience. And um, or even things like for myself, I rely on PSWs and so hire about eight to ten caregivers throughout the day and manage end-to-end process. Kind of like basically own my own business in a sense. But, you know, like I said, I was fortunate to have my employer that when I got my first job to look at that experience and say, hey, you know, maybe it's not paid a setting, but these are all great skills, organization, you know, time management, problem solving, uh, all those different things. So those are all things I brought into my uh, employment. I think that's kind of one thing that's really important. Um, the other thing is really looking at how we can support employees with disabilities throughout their career. So not just get employees in the door, but how can we actually, you know, support employees to excel? Um, I think that's a really important thing. Uh, and then finally as well, just, I know it sounds, especially for people within the disabled community, it sounds silly, but, um, you know, the number through reach, uh, a lot of what we do is education in terms of and supporting, like said, employees or managers who have, maybe not have, maybe don't have that experience with disability. Um, but a lot of individuals are just worried about saying or doing the wrong things. They don't want to hire some of the disabilities. They don't want to maybe like offend that person. Um, so it's really about supporting individuals who may not have that experience and exposure so that, you know, we can say, hey, like hiring a person with a disability is no different than hiring anyone else or managing a person with disability is no different than managing anyone else. So I think that's a really important thing that needs to be done as well or continue to do is just kind of reinforce and, you know, destigmatize disability and, you know, just it's part of the norm. It's just another way of getting around or another way of seeing things, another way of hearing things or whatever it may, your disability may be. I uh, did an interview with a former student uh, who has a cerebral palsy and I taught him as a student at Seneca College in Toronto. And one of the things we talked about is how could we get a group together, a small group of, say, three or four people for elementary school or secondary school or post-secondary who could go into a class and kind of do a little presentation of how to work or how to interact with people with disability. And I think that's something that really would be beneficial for the class, the teacher, the person with a disability, everybody learning how to interact and make a difference. Yeah, and I think kind of just making it not a scary thing too is a really important aspect. It's like, you know, people with disabilities are people, we're not aliens, come talk to us. Like, we're not gonna suddenly yell at you or get offended. Like. Sure, maybe you may say the wrong thing or maybe you may say something that may be hurtful, but kind of just I think the important aspect of being an ally is, you know, not knowing everything, not being perfect. Ideally, sure, you're perfect and you know kind of exactly what to say, when to say it kind of thing. But we know, you know, we're all human. 
So I think, you know, being an ally and being someone who's committed to learning is, um, you know, being like, hey, if I, if you maybe you say something and, you know, it's something that may be uncomfortable, I'll be like, hey, you know what, that made me uncomfortable, this is why. And I think being an ally is someone who says, okay, you know, I understand that. I'm going to, you know, personally work on that and, you know, change the way I approach it or say it in the future. And so, you know, with anything, like, even myself, that is, you know, I'm not an expert on disability. I know my personal experience as someone with a physical disability with limited upper body strength. But even like, you know, the experiences of someone in a manual wheelchair are very different than mine. And so I'm still learning about disability more broadly, even though I have a disability myself. So I'm not perfect and I'm always learning. So I think, you know, we always we all have to be committed to learning and, um, you know, making it not just like a weird thing and scary thing um, in the world to be committed to make it more inclusive for everyone. The other thing that I've noticed in my research so far is many people with a disability are afraid to say that they have a disability. Mm-hmm. And from our research, they should be coming out and say that they have a disability. So, for example, I have two physical disabilities, and I don't talk to people about them. And what I've learned through this effort is I should be talking to them about it. I shouldn't be hiding them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it can be difficult, especially you know, for myself, it's really obvious I have a disability. You know, I have power wheelchair, I have ventilator, I have a service dog. You know, there's no hiding it kind of thing. Like when I come in a room, you see it. Um, so I think individuals with invisible disabilities, it can be difficult kind of thing at times. Or even honestly, you know, being on a Zoom call, you know, that's it's been a bit of an equalizer in that sense because people don't know necessarily that I have a disability unless they maybe see my ventilator in the call or they see the back of my wheelchair or whatever it may be kind of thing. But, um, yeah, just going back to the fact that, like, it can be difficult just because of, you know, unfortunately a lot of the stigma and stereotypes surrounding disability, people are worried about how people might react, how they, you know, might treat you differently, that kind of thing. And so I think it kind of goes hand in hand that I think that individuals with disabilities should be more comfortable in terms of, like, advocating for themselves, telling their story, and just kind of normalizing it. But on the other hand, it can be difficult if we don't have the commitment on the broader kind of society in terms of being, you know, willing to learn and willing to kind of understand and not treat people differently just because they may have a disability. You know, people with disabilities represent, I think it's 20% of the of Canadian population right now, if I remember correctly. And so, you know, every, either you know someone with a disability, you have a disability, you're going to acquire a disability. Um, yeah, like... Disability touches everyone, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And so it's something we shouldn't be scared of and shouldn't, you know, hide, but it's it can still be difficult. Um, and it's something that, like I said, like, it's harder for me maybe to relate to because I do have a very visible disability. Um, but I definitely understand that, and it's something that we need to work towards to make everyone feel comfortable. So, yeah, 22% of Canadians have a disability. And if we take into account family and friends, that number goes up to 54%. And that's a powerful community. But having said that, how do we mobilize them? That's the challenge. No, for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's something I think we've tried to work on throughout the years, kind of thing, like way before my time, um, in a sense. And I think back, um, you know, yeah, years and years ago. And so I think something that, you know, there's definitely been some positive aspects of the disability rights movement where we've seen, you know, people come together and advocate for things, uh, which has been amazing, even like this is more U.S. related, but um, the we saw, I'm not sure if you saw the video or the documentary Crip Camp on Netflix, and it was just like an, an amazing example of people coming together and advocating and pushing for change. So I think we need to just find ways to continue to do that. 
uh, and advocate for what we need. There's another amazing uh, TV show, if you ever get a chance to see it. It's called We Are Able. Okay. And it's, it's an amazing show. It includes a lady whose arm is half an arm. She's a mother with one child, four uh, children that she looks after as foster children. She's an actress. She uh, runs a runway foundation that's, that's uh, modeling of people with disability, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll check it out. So having said that, Megan, you're doing great work. I guess the question is, what's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you at Power Hockey? Absolutely. So um, a a few different ways, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, so feel free to, you know, connect me on LinkedIn or um, from a Power Hockey perspective, uh, you know, visiting powerhockeycanada.com is our website and my contact information there and just, Megan at PowerHockeyCanada.com. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, pretty easy to connect with me and uh, always looking for p- people to connect with and partners to kind of just chat with and also grow our sport or, you know, whatever in, in that sense or kind of uh, and everything. So, yeah, absolutely. Feel free to reach out. Well, thank you for your time this morning. You're passionate about what you do. You're still learning, and that's, that's a key to uh, going forward. So thank you for your time this morning. Thank you for having me.